Exclusively on CBS All Access, a legend returns. I have a mission. There's not a hell of a chance for somebody to stop me. Patrick Stewart in Star Trek Picard. Now streaming only on CBS All Access. Well, Jean-Luc Picard is back, but nothing is as it was, or at least as it seems. I'm Dominic Patton, senior editor and chief TV critic for Deadline Hollywood. And I'm Jeff Boucher, genre editor at Deadline Hollywood. Welcome to the inaugural broadcast of our Star Trek Picard podcast presented by Deadline Hollywood. Every day that CBS All Access drops a new episode of the Sir Patrick Stewart-led, much-anticipated series, Dominic and I are going to engage, to quote Jean-Luc, with the creatives behind each and every twist and turn in what looks to be a pretty wild ride for the former Enterprise captain and for Starfleet. Now we should caveat that with, I would say, huge letters in the sky. Spoiler alert. Now we're not gonna didactically recap each episode of Picard, but we are gonna be digging deep into the storylines, the inspirations, and the motivations behind the Michael Chabon So Run series. So if you haven't watched the first episode that debuted earlier today on CBS All Access, you might wanna come back later when you have. And that's all the warning you're getting. Today we're joined by Picard executive producers Alex Kurtzman and Akiva Goldsman to delve into the Hanel Culpepper-directed season opener as well as fellow EP and showrunner Michael Chabon. And Jean-Luc Picard himself, Sir Patrick Stewart. So thank you all for joining us. One of the things that I find most fascinating is uh, this is the first Star Trek show that has one person in the title. That's uh, an individual. Before we've had ships, we've had entire generations, uh, and that's a different dynamic, different challenge, different opportunity. I'm wondering what you guys think about that. I was uneasy about it to begin with. You remember. Yeah. Um, I, I felt it was putting me under some pressure uh, to deliver uh, m more than perhaps I wanted to. Um, but, uh, but as the ideas developed, because the choosing the title was quite late in the day, yeah. wasn't it? I, and uh, initially I had proposed it should be Jean-Luc. Um, Nobody liked that idea <laughs> at all. I thought it, I, I would vote for that idea. Thank you. I would vote for that idea. Yeah, you see, I thought it brought intimacy and connection and a familiarity because people are now. I mean, they watched 178 hours of television and four hours, of, uh, eight hours of movies. So um, I still feel a certain amount of pressure with that in the title. And I, when I see it, I'm, I'm driving along Sunset Boulevard, and there is this massive poster up there. It, yep. I kind of squirm a little bit. This is a story of loss mm -hmm. and, and, and perhaps redemption. We'll see. There's, we'll nine, see. there's nine more yeah, episodes. There are, indeed. And you guys have been renewed, so, you know, there's yeah. more after yeah. that. More redemption. But I don't think it's going to be Picard without Picard. But I will say this, is there's a sense of loss, and then there's also the sense of how do you... How do you regain? How do you, who are you? You know, there's, there's, there, there's a, a real, I felt watching it starting in the vineyard, interesting choices all around, but it's in the soil. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. 
you're talking about the, the these are it's a different cusp of life. It's a different frontier. See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Um, fundamentally, we don't get the opportunity to tell people to tell stories about people at that juncture of life, um, older, wondering what comes next. Uh, then, not twenty, not thirty, not forty, um, and. If a loss isn't a compelling part of that mix, you probably haven't really lived. When you're saying that, it reminds me of, uh, it's an odd comparison, but like when Johnny Cash was recording his final albums with Rick mm-hmm. Rubin, you're like, you'd never hear music from somebody at that point in their life, right. you know? This is the, the American recordings of Picard, in a way, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it just came with the territory, and he, he's had this incredibly full, long, illustrious tempestuous and, in many and ways dis- tragic and at this point disappointing career. and tragic yes and there's a there's the implicate the implication in fact he says it explicitly that he hasn't been living he's been waiting to die so mm-hmm. he's he's you know is that the end is he done and it fi- what it, what happens in this first episode is that something comes his way someone comes his way that forces him to realize oh actually I still have more life to live it's like a decommissioned ship you know it's like he's in dry dock mm-hmm. you know like one of the, the mm-hmm. old enterprises and, right and obviously you recognize the trope right i mean it, it, and, and and that's on purpose uh, it, you know um uh every time i get out they pull me back in mm-hmm. i mean you know look the idea of having somebody who has stepped away step back um that's part of a grammar that is universal to storytelling or it can be and fundamentally well, it felt like you were dropping some king lear well uh, yeah i mean yeah, I, I, I mean yeah yeah no really yeah. I well mean, that's right and, yeah. and look and part of what we wanted to do and uh, you know we wanted to tell a star trek story we wanted to tell it so what that means is we need to involve you in it whether you've seen every episode or no episodes we need to engage you emotionally mm-hmm. we need to to use story with Star Trek grammar, right, in order to seduce you into giving a fuck. Um, and that was the outcome goal. So yes, like a decommissioned ship, what do you want to see fly more than a decommissioned ship that mm-hmm. you loved once? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the bolts hold. Right, exactly. 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 But Sir Patrick, one thing you know that, that that's very interesting about this show, it, besides the fact you're talking about a character that you literally have not played on screen for 18 years, I know the show takes place 20 years later, but Nemesis, 2002's Nemesis was the last time you played Picard. Mm-hmm. You, you're also an executive producer on this show. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, I would like to get a sense from you, because I know we talked about this in San Diego at Comic-Con. You know, if, if writers, Alex, you, 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 you told me this, you know, writers want to know about Jean-Luc Picard. Ask the man who can talk about him. You were in the room. These are creative decisions. How was that different for you, and how did that inform the way you saw the show and the way you wanted it to go? It was massively influential compared with how it was when we began Next Generation. Um, When I sat down, I only had two meetings with Gene Roddenberry, may he rest in peace, and at the first one I said, okay, Gene, I, I want to know about this man. I want to know things about him. What, what inspired you? What aspects of him? And so forth. And uh, all he did was toss a dog-eared paperback book across the table to me. And uh, he said, read this. 
and it was uh, one of the books in the Horatio Hornblower series. Oh, okay. Yeah, that means something to you. Yeah, good. And uh, <laughs> I, I had read them when I was a young teenager, so I knew pretty much what he meant. And so Horatio Hornblower became the foundation for Jean-Luc. But what became the foundation for Picard, Jean-Luc? Because that to me, look, I'm old school. I, you know, Next Gen was my show, right? Um, mm -hmm. That was my Star Trek. And, and, and Alex, Alex knows this too, but, and, and you know this, but this is a different show. This is, if you're coming to look for Next Generation, I mean, we're assuming everyone listening has, has watched this morning when the show debuted. Sorry, that's not, this is not Next Generation. Uh, well, we have, I think, uh, Alex, been frank about this yes. not being Next Generation. Yeah, it's very clear. From the start. Right, the minute you stepped down on stage in, in Vegas, that was the message. Oh, things that, have, things have changed that, him. He's yeah. not going to be the same the, the, the captain. Star Trek was a family. Yeah. It was a family crew, and this is this is a someone that's cut off from his family. Uh, very much so, and it was also surrounded by security. The Enterprise was security. Um, all the Starfleet personnel were security. The intimacy of the commanding aspect of the crew was security. All that's gone. Alex, th there, there's clearly a template. You guys, clearly, there are mul multiple plots. I mean, Jeff and I have been talking about them since, since we watched the first episode. You know, just all the different plots. But that, to me, was the, that's the emotional core here, loss. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Um, what Jean-Luc says down the line uh, is, I let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And it's interesting because Picard, I think, represents... Um, the, the ideal of the perfect captain, right? He's a leader who, in the most difficult times, uh, when the vice is tightest and when the, the world is the grayest, he somehow finds a way to shine a light toward what is morally correct. Mm -hmm. And he's held on to that as such a huge and fundamental part of his identity. And this horrendous thing happens that you'll see more of in the second episode that really puts that to the test. And Picard throws down with the Federation in that moment and says, this is, this is the time for us to, to be our most magnanimous. This is, a, this is everything you're now talking about doing is fundamentally against what I believe the Federation is. And he, he didn't really allow it to be a conversation. And when they weren't responding the way he wanted to, he kind of took his toys and went home. Mm -hmm. And he has regretted that. In many ways, he's, he's been telling himself it's fine, but he has regretted that. And much of what you begin to see is this sense of loss, not only loss of, wow, I actually sat down when I should have stood up. But if you go back to Nemesis, he's also dealing with the loss of his best friend, who, by the way, didn't even give him a choice in his, in his sacrifice. I mean, it is a matter of seconds before he just slaps the transporter on Picard and Picard's out of there and Data is gone forever. Right. So he never, got, he never got to reconcile that. Right. So he's been sitting in this vineyard now for over a, you know, over a decade, decade and a half, more than that, and he is sitting there with loss, and he is sitting disengaged. there with, disengaged. And he's but he's pretending. He's trying very hard, as you see in the pilot, brilliantly, brilliantly portrayed by Patrick, to make it all feel okay. But it only takes one interview where they start pushing on it for Picard to crack. And that was so interesting the way you, you divide this. Look, I mean, you know, we all know that the best science fiction is the science fiction that's not about galactic warfare. Correct. That's it's right. about now what's happening. 
to our brothers and sisters around the world, what's happening to our politics, what's happening to our economics. So much of that you guys touch in this. And it's it's a deft hand because it's, you know, it's easy to make broad strokes. You know, you throw up a picture of like Richard Nixon in the background and make some corny joke. This is very deft. And, And I want it from both of you guys. How do you negotiate finding that for yourselves? Because you're bringing him back with all the baggage and the weight that that entails and all the freedom it may entail as well. Mm-hmm. But you're bringing him back into a world where you're trying to reintroduce him as not the man you thought he was. And this isn't what you think it is. For me, it was essential to the narrative that we had a Picard who was confused, who was unclear about what he had done, but at the same time suspecting that he got something seriously wrong mm-hmm. and that he is responsible solely for what happened. There are other things too, but that that I've just been articulating is the center of his issue. And so right from the get-go, we are possibly made a little uncomfortable about what his world has become. A lot uncomfortable, honestly. Thank you, thank you, yeah. Because we know him so well and we have seen him in so many so many situations, multitudes of situations and relationships and challenges which he has handled brilliantly, not anymore. I thought we were here to talk about a supernova. A group of rogue synthetics dropped the planetary defense shields and hacked Mars's own defense net. Yes. Wiping out the rescue armada and completely destroying the Utopia Planitia shipyard. The explosions ignited the flammable vapors in the stratosphere. Mars remains on fire to this day. 92,143 lives were lost, which led to a ban on synthetics. Yes. We still don't know why the synthetics went rogue and did what they did that day. But I believe the subsequent decision to ban synthetic life forms was a mistake. Lieutenant Commander Data, operations officer on the Enterprise was synthetic. Did you ever lose faith in him? Never. What was it that you lost faith in, Admiral? You've never spoken about your departure from Starfleet. Didn't you, in fact, resign your commission in protest? Tell us, Admiral. Why did you really quit Starfleet? I'm sorry. Because it was no longer Starfleet. This first episode, whatever the anticipation or expectations around it is, set up has to be, or or for lack of a better expression, re-entry has to be a big part of this. In terms of, I'm always interested in, in, in the mechanics I guess not to really use too much of the ship analogy. I mean, we're good. so good at this by now yeah. that yeah. literally, if we don't do at least one in a sentence, we're fine. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> and, and, extra and, points and, for Nasa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, fair so point. Clearly, I'm clearly my game's a little down on this one. I will return stronger <laughs> and better. But I did want to say one element of that is how hard is that to maneuver and negotiate? Because Patrick is part of the room. He is, you know, honestly, if you want to ask someone, well, who is Jean-Luc Picard? It's like, well, that guy knows. Mm-hmm. Ask him, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's a part of it. But how do you find that? Because you're talking about and through a man who is at an older stage of his life, regrets regrets and accomplishments, of course. Mm-hmm. But you're also trying to like, but we're trying to set you up because we got more of this. We got nine more of these. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, we haven't told you, but now you know, we got probably another 10 more to come, even then more because we're coming back. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you find that? Because people, what they want is... Boom, he lands, 
you know, mm-hmm. data walks up, mm-hmm. he says engage, mm-hmm. and pretty soon Klingons mm-hmm. are running. Right. Well, I mean, I think there's two things. Like one is that's what people think they want. And and I understand that. Like I, as a fan, I remember when TNG premiered. And what I thought I wanted was more TOS, right? And when I didn't get that, it took me a while. It took the show a little while too. It, but it, I didn't love it at all at first it took me time and i had to lose that thing of wanting more more kirk more spock more you know all the things that that i loved about tos um and you know if we even if we just completely slavishly attempted to recreate tng now with the entire legacy cast and an enterprise and they're going out on missions and they're going to planets and all the things you think you want from another when you hear that that Patrick Stewart's coming back to play Picard it would not it wouldn't work it would it would disappoint you it it would of course be a disappointment because you can't actually have that back again and that is it's still there it hasn't gone anywhere you can still watch it and enjoy it but but it, you know it would inevitably come as a disappointment and so you know, that's one thing we, in a sense, didn't really worry about. And you've seen I, that with the original series movies, some of the later sequels. Mm-hmm. Well, where I, I, I think you're, I, I think fan service is getting a bum rap as a phrase, and I understand it. But mm-hmm. we're now saying fan service without fan engagement, right? And fan service without human engagement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope what you saw from the first three is that we love Star. Mm-hmm. My first Star Trek convention is 1976, right? I mean, that's pathetic. This is long. Oh, that's beautiful. not pathetic. I, uh, or beautiful. It's or back beautiful. In style. But I mean. I mean, it is, back. but it wasn't that, it's, it's, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, it really wasn't oh, that. Hey, oh. you were an innovator. Just go with it. <laughs> let it happen. Thank right? you. Fundamentally, you know, the truth is that what we had to finally do is rely on each other, mm-hmm. like to create a cohort where we were like, would you like it? Because I would like it. Mm-hmm. And we really love Star Trek and we really love stories. Like we, Star Trek may be in the really in the, in the firmament of our ability to tell stories, but our careers haven't been about st- telling Star Trek stories. Mm-hmm. We told all sorts of other stories, mm-hmm. and now we get to use Star Trek grammar to tell stories mm-hmm. and re- or our abilities to tell Star Trek stories. But isn't isn't that when, that's to me is when science fiction is its greatest Agreed. strength. Because Absolutely. that is the story. The story is, it's not about an interplanetary journey. That's right. It's about a group of people of differences and diversity mm-hmm. and conflict mm-hmm. and searching for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, unto themselves. That's right. And trying to answer some fundamental questions like what does it mean to be human and what is the point of our life and and how do we get ourselves out of this mess that we're in? Um, and Star Trek has been offering answers to that those questions in the form of stories from the very beginning. It's interesting to see the performance uh, in that first episode and as it goes on, uh, the physicality that you chose yes. and brought to Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Tell me. I'm, I'm curious. No, it's very clear. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seems you what you're just talking about now, he seems lost. He seems like he, he can't put a finger on things. He seems tentative. Uh, he doesn't have the the crisp presentation that we see in the past. And I noticed that in, uh, in subsequent episodes, we start seeing difference. You know, so I, I, it's very obviously a choice. Uh, it's an interesting one, and, and was that uh, was it hard for you to find the the equilibrium on that? Well, it was uh, <clears throat> it was a, a, an ensemble choice. Mm-hmm. Um, we discussed this and how it should appear and how it should be dealt with. So I wasn't just trusting my own instinct in this. Um, we've we have I have never worked so closely with a production team as I have with this one, and and 
I feel I have to take a certain responsibility for some of the things that, that happen. Um, I wanted a dog. I said, and if I have a dog, it has to be a pit bull. Mm. Because th there is a political resonance to that for me, as well as I have, I've had relationships with numerous pit bulls. Um, uh, but there were, there were thematic strands. And when Alex and, and our colleagues heard me talk about the significance of Logan to my relationship with X-Men. Uh, yeah. They got it. Yeah. They got it. Well, that's so interesting you say. I got to tell you, I didn't think you'd cop to that. I mean, cause I, as, because it's, it's there and you see it in you as an actor. The way is, again, I, I, you know, to see you at this point in your career, Sir Patrick, and Alex, to see you at this point in your career, this is, you didn't have to tell the story the way we, I think what we're beginning to see here this way. This could have been grand flourishes and, you know, Admiral Picard swoops in to save the day. You're playing this thing that you almost never see in Hollywood. You're playing a man who is a man of your age, playing a man who's looking back at life with what you get to look back at life on. Those are very honest choices as actors. And as a creator, as a creative person, Alex, how, 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 do, you find the, how do you find the insight into that? Well, as Patrick said, it's such a collaboration. And I think that part of what I understood, we all understood, Patrick really required uh, to say yes, was the, the understanding that we were going into a collaboration, that we were never going to be handing him pages and saying, this is go say these things. But in fact, we were going to be building this thing together. And I, I didn't know Patrick, and he didn't know me. Um, I knew him by reputation, and, and I was... I think Logan is probably a drop the mic. Don't make any more superhero movies. Movie, it's that good. You know, totally. it's it's totally. that good. Absolutely. And yeah. um and and so it is daunting to think about having to stand in the shadow of that. But in a way, what was instructive was we're not trying to do Logan. What what Logan what Logan no. does, which is really excellent, is it's it it throws you into a situation where you're like, wait a minute, he's drunk and he's in the back of a limousine, and what's happening? Right. And you have to catch up to everything that got him there. And it is a real reinvention of those characters, and yet it, it is utterly consistent as the movie reveals itself with the characters that you have known all that time. And both are pay paying a consequence for their choices of disconnecting. For you know, disconnecting. Logan and yeah. Professor X and Picard. And so I think we, I was personally so excited because what other franchise and what other character would allow you to let your protagonist be in Starfleet years 92? Picard is 92. Right, so now you're in a story where you're you're saying this is going to be about a man in his emeritus years, looking at the sum total of his life, and seeing what his choices have been, and living with his regrets, and having one last chance to make it right, and that I think makes it such a fundamentally emotional story. It would have been boring if he everything was fine. Well, exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. But I but I have to say, you know, Sir Patrick, that's putting a lot of a lot of a lot of your emotional guts out there. Yes, it is. But they are not only Jean-Luc's emotional guts, they're mine too. And during the, the, uh, the seven seasons of Next Generation, I found that Jean-Luc and Patrick became closer and closer and closer until finally they overlapped entirely. And I know, and this is, this is going to sound somewhat arrogant, but... I felt I never had to study and analyze what Picard might do or say or what things meant 
because I already knew, because it was me as well. And I've never had that experience before where my nature and a, and a character have been so closely uh, associated and they, they, they were in, in Next Generation. So I came with this, uh, this uh, rucksack full of history which I had lived through, which I had shared. So it wasn't like recreating a character. It was like beginning to write an autobiography, mm, yes. a very personal autobiography. And that's what it's felt like. And I'm, I've been working... What a, what a beautiful way of terming it. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. I really do. It, it was. I mean, what, one of the things I'm very proud of about the show is that I don't think Picard is different than the man he was on Next Generation. He still is that beacon of hope. He still has his moral compass pointing in the right direction, but circumstances have changed him so much. And his response is different. And well, his like circumstances you, you know, are different. Thing, I think it's, I think it's uh, Cornel West talks about it. There's the difference between hope and optimism. Mm-hmm. Optimism is based on evidence. I think the economy is going to get better. Why? Well, if you look at the employment numbers, they're looking good. Hope is based on faith. Yeah. It's based on a on a on a core a core instinct of character. And I think I guess that's what I meant when I said he feels different because yeah. Jean-Luc on the Enterprise was, well, I do this, I do that. I'm the master, I'm the philosopher, philosopher warrior. This is not that man. Right. As Patrick said, it's much easier to be that man when you have a, a great army behind you. Sure. It's much, much more challenging to be that man when you don't. And that makes it a much more interesting story. So I think, you know, I can't I can't tell you how clear Patrick was and how uh, there was no vanity. He's like, I'm going to portray this character as he is and as he would be. And it's not always going to be pretty. And I want people to see the lines in my face. And that's what we're going to do. And so w- when you have an actor who's willing to do that from the beginning, you say, okay, you have now set down a gauntlet. We have a tremendous responsibility, not only to Patrick, because we recognize that he had said no many times, but to the character because people love the character so much. And if we betrayed some fundamental aspect of either Patrick or Picard, it would have been the worst mistake we could have made. Well, that's all for the first edition of the Star Trek Picard podcast presented by Deadline Hollywood. I think we've covered a lot of Federation space today. I agree, indeed. And thanks to all our guests, some of whom will be joining us in the weeks to come as we go behind the scenes and into the scripts of this return of Jean-Luc Picard. A very different man now in a very different time. Indeed. Remember, we'll be back every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on the same day that a new Picard episode drops on CBS All Access all season long. See you next week.